Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. So with Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ, where Christ, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is adultery. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off those things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let us bow in prayer. We come, our Father, to worship you this morning and to share together in your word Bless that which we now speak, that it might take root in some heart. May we see souls saved this day. May we see benefits to your kingdom in our lives as we endeavor to serve you and follow that which is your leading, not only here in the church, but in our lives as we serve in the community. For in Christ's name we pray. I'm going over to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11 for the text. And just a portion of that verse. And it's a question. What manner of person, thank you, that'll help maybe. What manner of person ought ye to be? Let me see if it will. Did you spike it or anything? <clears throat> Second time in my life I ever had a glass of water in the pulpit. That's pretty good. I'll do it again. I think it helped. I don't know what happened to me. I 
had a voice when I was sitting down there. <clears throat> Maybe it's coming back. That's helping. The question in 2 Peter chapter 3 is, what manner of person ought you to be? And the, the text that I, the question that I'm asking as the title of the message that comes from that text is the very words, what manner of person? And I think we need to ask ourselves as Christian people, what kind of people really ought we to be? Now, everybody has an opinion as to what everybody else ought to be. I have my opinion as to what you ought to be. You have your opinion as to what I ought to be. But as a collective body of Christian people, what kind of people ought we to be? Who are we anyway? Frequently, when I go down to restaurant and eat with some of you for Sunday dinner, one of the questions that I often ask is, who is that over there? I know the face, but I don't know the name. And so some of you will say, that's so-and-so. But very frequently, as is common, and we all do it, I will get a little more than their name. She is, or he is, thus and so. The commentary is designed to explain to me a little more than the name. The question that comes then to my mind, if I were that person sitting there about whom someone is asking, who is that? What would the commentary be? If you are that person sitting across the dining room and someone says, who is that over there? What is the commentary that will be attached to the answer about you? What manner of person are we that would bring forth a commentary about us? Would the commentary be good, or would it be bad? Would it be, that's the orneriest rascal there is in Boone County, or would it be, that fella or that lady is the most wonderful person I ever met? That person belongs to the Olive Branch Missionary Baptist Church. That person belongs to the Madison First Baptist Church. That person doesn't go to church anywhere. That person is lost and is now going to hell unless things change, and so on and on the commentary would go. What manner of person ought we to be to bring out a good commentary? Well, I think Paul answers it here in Colossians. When he starts out by saying, if we then be risen with Christ, then he says, seek those things which are above, set your affection on things above. Well, I think the first answer then that we can give as to what manner of person we ought to be is that we are a new person. We are a different individual. 
If nobody can tell the difference between us and the person who is lost, we have sadly failed in our life. There ought to be a recognizable difference. Why? Because the old person that we were died one day. I hope that you are physically alive, but I hope that you have experienced death already. What am I saying I hope you've experienced? I hope you have experienced the death to your old life and you have become a new individual. And as a new individual, then you and I are different. We're different than we were before. We see things differently. I think I have a different perspective of life as a Christian that I had before I became one. This makes the difference. We as Christian people see things differently now. And why do we see things differently? Because we're a new individual. We now no longer, hopefully, are interested in ourselves so much. We as Christian people ought to be absolutely, utterly, completely selfless. We should never be selfish. Now granted, we're not to that point, but I'm saying that that is the goal toward which we ought to, ought to, uh, to work. We ought to attempt to achieve that. Paul said to the Corinthians, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so the person sitting there and saying, who is that? The commentary ought to be, that is a person who lives for the glory of God. Then we have a good commentary. Paul said, we are risen with Christ. But before we can rise with Christ, we must have been crucified with him as well. Paul said to the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I live, but Christ lives in me. We're not alive this morning. Did you hear me? We are not alive. We are dead. It is Christ that lives. It is Christ that lives in us. It is Christ, therefore, that the world ought to see and the commentary ought to be. That is Christ! Not that this is the individual Christ, but that person is living as Christ would live. How could the commentary be in our lives? Paul said to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Well, let's go on. He says it is Christ who is our life. Christ that we are identified with. Therefore, he goes on to say in verse 5, 
I will put the word therefore preceding the verse. Therefore, mortify. The word mortify means to kill. It takes the same idea as a surgery. Remove. Remove from your life. Remove from my life, if necessary, by a surgical process. Absolutely cut out completely do away with, destroy some things in our lives. Look what he says to destroy. Destroy fornication. That's nothing more than immorality. He said destroy uh, uncleanness, unclean living. Destroy, cut out, do away with unclean living. Now we have some problems there. Because most of us have some things that are not very pure in our lives that we enjoy. But Paul says, if we are risen with Christ, if it is Christ in our life, then we must cut out our unclean living. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. What things are there in your life and mine that are unacceptable to God? The scripture says, cut them out. By a surgical process, if necessary. Cut out inordinate affection. Unordinary affections for things that we ought not to love. Cut out evil concupiscence. That's a bad word to try to pronounce. It simply means cut out evil desire. Cut it out. Don't have an evil desire. He said cut out covetousness. And do you notice that covetousness is called idolatry? A person who covets worships an idol. Again, I didn't say that. Bible says that. He who covets worships idols. He who is greedy for whatever worships an idol. Is your goal in life to make a lot of money? That occupies every possible idea and concept in your mind. I don't care if it's a dollar or ten billion dollars. The amount doesn't matter. If the goal of our life is to achieve anything physical, if that's what we're about, we work in order that we might gather into our uh, hands certain physical possessions. We have become the worshiper of an idol. If it's to have, as most teenagers do, and I remember what I did, my object was to make enough money that I could buy an automobile. That automobile became my idol. But I learned it had frailties. It didn't run too many miles before it broke down, and I ceased to admire it so much. Whatever that is in our lives, then he says to cut it out, to get rid of it, to kill it. Now, if we don't, I want you to look at verse 6. For these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Let me rephrase it without doing any damage to the scripture. 
God's wrath comes upon his children who are disobedient. I can remember when I was a little boy, outside our side door was a willow tree. Huge thing. And when I was mean and ornery, my dad sent me out to the willow tree to cut my own whip that he was going to use on me. If he didn't like the size of it when I got back, I was sent out to get another one until he was satisfied with the whip. I wore a little short pants in those days as a kid, and I think that's why I don't like to wear them today. I'm just not going to put on shorts too many times because I remember that that bared the legs. And that little whip really left the marks. And I danced a tune. I learned to dance. Uh, standing uh, with Dad holding on to my shoulder and the whip uh, on my legs. I can do the jig, I'll tell you I can. What was happening? I was being punished for my waywardness. Now listen, God is a father to me today as much and more so than my dad was a father to me when I was a child. And the scripture says the children of his who are disobedient, he's going to use the will on. Don't think that we can escape the punishment of God upon our lives by coming to church on Sunday morning and sitting in a nice, beautiful church and enjoying the choir and listening to a sermon and somebody pray or praying yourself and going home and feeling good. That's not going to uh, keep the wrath of God from being applied to us when we have been disobedient unto him. I've had many people come to me and ask, why is it that I am suffering so? I can't answer those things, but there may be a good possibility in your life and mine. The problems that we have are punishment upon us to get us back in line. When my dad laid that will to me, I thought the second time before I disobeyed him the next time. Because I could remember. It's probably time in our lives that we stop and recognize that God is not going to put up with a lot of our nonsense without laying the whip to us. Numbers 32.23 says, Be sure your sins will find you out. There's one thing that I have learned is that God has pretty good eyes. And I've never been able yet to hide my sin from him. He already sees it. As Adam could not hide in the Garden of Eden, neither can you and I hide today. And as a consequence, sin has its penalty. Adam paid the penalty for his sin, did he not? He was cast out of the garden, and he was forced to work with the sweat of his brow in order to make a living for his family. And it came as a result of his sin. And God punished him. There is no sin, no sin that God will leave unpunished with his children. We will suffer the consequences for our waywardness. And one of the sins that comes our way is the sin of fruitlessness, fruitlessness, that is not producing anything for the glory of God. Jesus and his disciples were going down the street on one occasion. 
and there in the distance was a fig tree. It was time for figs, and Jesus went to the fig tree to gather figs in order that he might eat with his disciples. The tree had no figs on it. It was all leaves. Jesus cursed that tree, and the disciples the next day noticed that the tree was dead. The tree was dead. God on one occasion gave our Jesus, gave us the parable from God of a man who had a tree in his garden and it never produced. And the owner of the garden said to the caretaker, cut that tree down and get it out of here. It's cumbering the ground. And the caretaker said, let me have another year. I will fertilize it and I will cultivate it and I'll see if I can't get it to produce. If it will not produce, all right, then we'll take it. I agree. The owner of the tree, of the garden, agreed, and that's what they did. The point is, God is saying to the Lord Jesus, my children are being unproductive, fruitless. Why are they cumbering up my ground? And Jesus is standing before the throne of God and saying, give me a little while longer little more chance. I'll work with them and plead with them and deal with them and see if I can't get them straightened out so that they'll produce something. If they're going to be absolutely fruitless, unproductive, all right, then we'll agree. Let's take them out of the ground. Let's do away with them. I tell you, we're here for the purpose of bearing fruit for the glory of God. That's our purpose as Christian people. Not for our own benefit, but for the glory of God. And if we're not going to produce, we're going to feel the willow whip on our legs. Now he says some other things that we'll very quickly go over. He says to put some things out of your life. One of the things he says in verse 8 and 9, to put out of your life is anger. There is no excuse for a Christian to be angry. We are not to be angry with one another. Put that out of our lives. He says to put wrath out of our lives. It's always amazing to me that we know how to get even much better than anybody else. If somebody does us wrong, then our, our righteous indignation rears up and we're really going to blast somebody. Because we know that they're wrong and it's our job to see to it that they're punished. But God doesn't say that. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. It's time for us to quit trying to do God's job and let him do his own. This is what Peter thought he would do in the garden when the soldiers came to get Jesus. Peter was going to do the vengeance and he reared up with his sword and his intention was to cut that man's head off. He missed and only got his ear. Jesus stopped him and picked up the ear and put it on the side of the man's face and restored that ear to that soldier. Peter, that's not your job. I'll take care of this situation. He says to put out malice. Malice is nothing more than the desire to, to see somebody else suffer. That's not in the Christian's vocabulary. It should not be. He said, do not blaspheme. 
blaspheme me as taking the Lord's name in vain. There is nothing more despicable in my book than to hear a, quote, Christian use the Lord's name in vain. I cannot imagine a Christian using the Lord's name in vain. But it happens. The question that comes to my mind, is that person really a Christian? Else he could should not and could not use the Lord's name in vain. He goes on to say, and also filthy communication. Well, that's all the other four-letter words and, and, and the filth and the foul that, that goes on in our world that everybody seems to want to use. There are some people that cannot open their mouth without having it full of vileness. Listen, that should never come out of the mouth of a Christian. Nothing vile. Nothing vile. And he all goes, goes on to say, don't lie. But let's go on to verse 12 and 13 where he says, now to add on to our lives. What does he say to add on to us? Put on, he says, put on mercy. Scripture says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. That's a pretty tough one to live with. I don't know how often I really pray that sincerely. Because I think I want God to forgive me a whole lot more than I forgive. But the Lord's not going to do it. He's only going to forgive me in relationship to my willingness to forgive. Don't you think that you and I can go to the throne of God and pour out our prayers to Him and say, Lord, forgive me of this, 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 and this, and then go out and grab somebody by the neck and choke them because the Lord's not going to forgive only in relationship to the willingness of our own heart to do the same as He has done. There's where so many times we fall down. He says to be kind which really means have a reputation for being gentle. Who is that person across the road, across the street, across the room in the restaurant? Who is that? That's so-and-so, and he or she is the most gentle person I ever knew. That's the kind of conversation ought to be taking place about you and me when somebody says, who is that? He says to be humble. Don't think that we ought to take the high seat. Because those people who, who are haughty and proud will discover that they fall. And we have seen many of that happen in our own lives and in our society. He says to be meek. Webster describes meekness as being patient without resentment. Being patient without resentment. He says to be forgiving. Well, we've talked about that a bit. So what kind of person are we to be? The answer is simple. Doing it is difficult. We are to be the kind of person that represents Jesus Christ. We are to be known for our faith. We are to be recognized for our life as being like Christ. 
That's what we're to be. Having all of the attributes that Jesus had and having none of those things that are contrary to the will of God. None of them. No immorality, no uncleanness, no filthiness, no covetousness, no hate, no anger, no malice. But its place, having love and peace and living in harmony and proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Lord of this world, the Lord of our life. What kind of person are you this morning? First of all, are you a Christian? If you're not, you ought to be one. Anyone who is not a Christian, who has not accepted Jesus Christ into his heart, into his life, cannot have any future. It all has to be bleak. It is black. The last heartbeat will see the soul leave the body and go to hell. Those of us who are Christian, what manner of Christian are we? One that glorifies the name of God and lifts him up? One that depicts Christ as being the Savior because what he has done in us is evident? What kind of person are you? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.